If you guys want to turn your Bibles to Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we'll go ahead and go through the word here. The theme of the, the book of Philippians is the joy in the Lord, and not joy in our circumstances uh, or in our, our situations, but our joy is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's kind of what Philippians is all about. You'll see joy throughout uh, each chapter, joy and rejoicing uh, in each chapter in the book of Philippians. Uh, and our, our joy is in Christ Jesus alone. And, and joy is not happiness, by the way. Uh, happiness is really dependent on our circumstances and our situations. Uh, but the joy of the Lord that we have is based off of, well, really, on Jesus Christ and him alone. And, and he doesn't change at all, right? Amen, church? Amen, yeah. Um, the theme, the, the key verse in the book of Philippians is Philippians 4.4. 4. Does anybody know what that says? Rejoice in the Lord. No? Always rejoice in the Lord. Uh, yep, okay. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Um, I can see some of you guys were in children's ministry. Good job. Um, now, as we begin this section, Paul begins to talk about the fellowship with uh, the, the, the church in Philippi. Even though, you know, he's in prison there in Rome. Uh, he's far away. It's been about 10 years uh, since his last, uh, well, I would say his second missionary journey in, in founding uh, the Church of Philippi. So it's been a while since he's seen everybody here in the Church of Philippi and uh, until he writes this letter to them, basically. So I want to give you guys three things that are outlined uh, in verses 1 and 2 and that really pertain to joy. Uh, so if you're taking notes, uh, what what is involved in having joy anyways, right? So let's see what that's all about. It, the first thing is it involves the submission to Christ. Submission to Christ. Look at verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Now, a normal greeting from Paul would be what? An apostle of Jesus Christ, right? He, he throws his apostleship out there. And here in the book of Philippians, I don't know, there's something that happened here because all of a sudden it's a bond servant, right? Timothy and I, we're bond servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. No longer is it title and apostleship and all this high and lofty, you know, the, the title of stuff. Um, but it's a servant of Jesus Christ. And that's the simple truth that I can pull out of this about the joy of the Lord. It involves submitting to Jesus Christ. And that word servants is doulos in the Greek, right? And it simply means uh, a slave, right? And uh, a slave is in total submission to his master. A slave has no right, has no will of his own. Uh, really, it, he has no voice of his own. He's a slave. And uh, Paul's painting that picture for you and me in what is involved in really having true joy, especially in ministry, and, and uh, it involves submission to Christ. So whatever Jesus wants in your life, in your heart, in your really your mind, it's submitting to his will, his ways, and his wants. It's, it's all about him. And, and Jesus is really that example for all of us. It's in the, the Book of Luke, chapter 22, verse 42, it says, Father, Jesus says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You know, he set that example for you and me and really what it means to be a slave. And I, I'm super encouraged. When I was going through this, I was like, Lord, thank you so much. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says, uh, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Um, we understand whatever God is doing in our life, that it's that. That it's God doing it in our life. Did you guys catch that? Now, now, all of a sudden, if you realize that, now you begin to understand this joy that comes from the Lord in spite of the circumstances that we're going through. Because I assure you, you're probably like me. We're probably going through some trials and things in our lives right now where you're like, how am I going to be smiling through this? It's not about smiling. It's about the joy of the Lord throughout 
those trials in the midst of what you're going through, you can still rejoice in the Lord. And, and, and it's just, it's awesome. When you realize this, Jesus is not only our Savior, you know, he's, yes, he's our Savior, but there's that Lordship issue. Is, is he the Lord of our lives as well? Is he that master, uh, of our lives? And that, if he is, we need to submit to him. We need to submit not onto ourselves, but to Jesus Christ. So Paul brings this up in Romans chapter 9, verse 20. He says, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? And you know, the truth is Jesus Christ is the potter. And we are the clay, right? Some of us, you know, we, well, God's shaping all of us, right, into more of his image and, you know, some of us, he's shaping into maybe like that ashtray, you might think, right? And then some of you guys, the rest of you guys, that just seems like my life. But the rest of you, it seems like this beautiful vase, and it's just beautiful. And you're like, uh, there's that part of your flesh, right? Where you're just like, hey, right? Oh, come on, Lord, what's this, you know? But understand that he will make us and shape us into what he wants to shape us and make us into. You see what I mean? There's our flesh that says, Lord, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. Let's let's do it this way. Uh, I got to be the vase. I'm not going to be the ashtray over here, right? The garbage can or whatnot. And, and we want to advise God, really. Hey, Lord, let me, let me help you here, right? That's dangerous, very dangerous. We, we do it more than we should, and that's not good. But did, do you guys know slaves were always bought by their masters? They were always purchased by, uh, with a price. And, and uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, he says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, and therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So you and I belong to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen, church? Do you guys like saying amen? Amen? Okay. Amen. Uh, man, if you can't find joy in that, I don't know, you can't find joy in anything else, believe it or not. It's, it's only in Christ Jesus you'll find that joy. Okay, let's go on. The rest of verse 1. He says, uh, well, and really, having true joy, by the way, also uh, involves uh, equality in Christ Jesus. And I get that from this. Look, it says, to all the saints in Christ, not just a few of them, Jesus, who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. Uh, now, so he's mentioning three groups of people here. Notice the, the saints, right? That's the church corporately, uh, uh, all together, the church population, I guess you can say. Uh, and then he mentions who? The bishops here, the ones, the ones who overlook, uh, over the top of someone else. We call them the overseer. And or the bishops, right? So they're the episkopos, the, the Greek word epi meaning upon and scopus meaning, uh, to view. So that's where, uh, uh, Mount Scopus in Israel, you guys can look at that too. It's kind of where the word comes from. But So an overseer takes care of the flock from a spir- spiritual sense, kind of like a, a, an elder of the church. So an elder is a, a, the older person, uh, the man in, in the office, and really just kind of uh, overseeing uh, the body, just taking care of the daily operations of the church, basically. So the point to all of this is true joy and equality really comes from Jesus Christ. And notice the order of these people are all listed. Uh, it's the saints that are mentioned first. Did you guys catch that? But then the bishops and the deacons. So notice the, pre- the preposition here that is used here. It's the it's with the bishops. Did you guys catch that circle? You're with right there if you write in your Bible. Not under the bishops, but with them. So they are co-laboring together. In our minds, we think, you know, the bishops, and then there's the deacons, and then there's the, there's the saints at the bottom of the food chain, right? That's kind of where, where our minds go, but not so. Hey, there's, 
not one person that's better than the other. There's no partiality in Christ Jesus. If we're all members of the body, we're all working and functioning, and we're all important, and we're all putting in just as much. And I kind of get the picture at the end of time, right, from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation, when we look at the, the whole picture it's, it's like a puzzle that just all got put together and we just see Christ through it all. It was his hand, his work, his perfection in everything. And so when our minds get caught up in our own Christian walk, in our own lives, um, remind yourself, it's not about you, right? My buddy Rudy right here was just encouraging me of this right now. He's like, hey, it's not about you, man. It's all about Jesus. And I was like, yeah, thanks. I need that. Yeah. But uh, anyways, um, so we're all equal with the Lord. Uh, In Galatians chapter 3, if you're a quick flipper, go over like three pages to your right, or four, or I'm sorry, go to your left, where am I going? Three or four pages to your left, to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, look at verse 28. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right, so that should bring joy to all of our hearts, right? Since we we all want to be like the greats of old, right? We really do. You read about all these great guys. I look up to Dwight, Pastor Dwight. He's he's one of those greats to me. He's kind of like what I picture of, uh, you know, the prophets in the Old Testament, so if you could ever like go up to them and just you just want to listen and they just pour out wisdom and knowledge, right? It's like wow, it's amazing. Um, so, anyways, a saint, a saint is really is just a believer, no different than any other. So just understand that. So true joy also involves Christ. Uh, I'm sorry, grace from Christ. Look at verse two. It says, "Grace to you." Go back to Philippians. Uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I don't think this is just a typical greeting, by the way. Grace, right? Charis in the, in the Greek. Mentioned 156 times in the New Testament. It, it means, uh, unmerited favor. Getting what you don't deserve. And then we got peace right here, right? The Irene, uh, in the Greek. And it is, uh, basically means tranquility, a lack of hostility, uh, safety, basically. And, and the point is simple. True joy only involves submission to Christ, equality in Christ, grace from Christ. Grace always comes uh, before peace, which is so cool. Um, I love it. So let's look, let's look at verse 3. This is kind of where the study I wanted to start at, actually. Um, look at verse 3. It says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, uh, speaking to the church of Philippi, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace." For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. That you may approve the things that are excellent and that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Um, man, that is awesome. So I mentioned Paul. He's in Rome. Uh, he's, you know, 10 years it's been since his second missionary journey of going and founding uh, the Church of Philippi. And, you know, uh, I get that from verse 5. Look at verse 5. It says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He has fellowship with this Church of Philippi. And uh, that fellowship word, kononia in the Greek, uh, simply means oneness, that common ground and and that's the kind of fellowship that we have here as well which i think is awesome when uh, my wife bethany and i we came from arizona and uh we actually we moved to new mexico taos new mexico for about six months and 
man, it was tough finding a church there. We're trying to get plugged in, and there's just so much stuff where we're like, man, we're we're craving that fellowship, you know, that that true fellowship with believers. And uh, we came here, and that's I don't know if you guys noticed we're. We were trying to hug you guys and trying to, I was stopping you, some of you, and I'm like, hi, who are you? What's your name? Hi, how's it going? And it's just because we were craving it for so long. It was just like, ah, we need it. But it was, it's awesome at this fellowship. You guys welcomed us in, and uh, every one of you guys, honestly, um, none of you guys punched us or anything or tripped us, so that's good. But, um, but yeah, Paul has this type of fellowship with the Church of Philippi, which is amazing. And he talks about this fellowship that he has with them. And note, notice three things about this fellowship that Paul has with the Church of Philippi. I'll give you guys a little outline if you want it. Um, number one, it involves his mind. And that's in verses 3 to 5. Um, I'm sorry, 3 to 6. And then secondly, it involves his heart, bless you, in verses 7 and 8. And number three, it involves his prayer in verses 9 through 11. So let's look at this. There's three things about Paul's thoughts for the church of Philippi. And let's kind of start from the beginning here. Number one, it involves uh, thankfulness to God. Look at verse three again. It says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now get the picture here. Paul's in Rome. You know, he's separated by miles, by guards, by chains. And, and, and yet, you know, 10 years later, he's still remembering the church of Philippi. And, and, and every time that he thinks of the church of Philippi, He's thanking the Lord for them. There's just the true thankfulness that just, you know, it's just bursting out of his heart for the church of Philippi onto the Lord. And if we were in Paul's situation, we might only be thinking about ourselves, concerned about ourselves. I don't know. Um, obviously, not you guys, but other churches, right? Right? You guys are all quiet. You're oh, not me. Uh, yeah, those other people. Anyways, obviously. So we, we live in a society, though, that, man, we're all about ourselves. Have you guys noticed that? It's a narcissistic kind of society where we just want to talk about ourselves. When we, you know, people, we, we're talking to people. It just, there's that flesh part of us that just wants to talk about you and yourself and I, me, myself, and I, right? We got to be aware of that and watch out for that. Um, but, we need to remember other people. We got to get caught up in the people around us and not just ourselves. Um, Paul, Paul is locked up and yet he's thinking about them. I'm sure if I was locked up, I'd be thinking a lot about myself. So what a, what a role model he is here. But question, could you be on the minds of other people? Or on their nerves, right? <laughs> They're like, Lord, thank you that they didn't come to church today, or, right? I don't know where that, where you could be. But when others think of you, is it thankfulness of heart, you know, onto the Lord for you? Um, you know, kind of consider those things. Where, where are you in the minds of others? Uh, and, uh, or, or do you have, you know, others on your thoughts as well? Are you praying for them? Are you seeking the Lord? Are you burdened for them? Are you going, can you, you know, are you losing sleep over it, all right? You're just praying so much and interceding for those around you. Um, where are you at? But Paul is thankful for them each and every day, man. May we be like Paul. It's just, I don't know. I read that verse and I was just already just encouraged. I was like, yeah. So, uh, but notice the different kind of people in Philippi. Okay, we got Lydia, she's a dealer of purple, right? She's from the, the city of Thyatira. She's a successful businesswoman. And then you got the slave girl who was uh, demonically possessed and, and divin the spirit of divination. And then you got the jailer. Uh, all of these kind of people are making up the church of Philippi, right? The area of Philippi. And it's just very interesting that Paul is thankful for these types of people. Um, look at secondly, it involves the gospel of God. Look at verse four. It says, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. So Paul was with, uh, he was with Silas, Luke, um, and uh, Timothy on his second missionary journey when he went and founded uh, the, the Church of Philippi over here 10 years ago. And, and this fellowship involves the gospel of God. So you and I have fellowship with each other in, in, in just a variety of different ways. You know, for, 
For some, it means, you know, after service, you're just going to go straight to the complimentary coffee, you know, and maybe sometimes there's cookies and donuts there, and you're like, all right. But that's not fellowship, right? What is our fellowship as believers? It's that oneness that we have in Christ Jesus. That's our fellowship. It's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So um, our fellowship needs to be centered around Christ. You know, we think that... You know, it's the external fellowship, and and we choose to open up to those around us who, I don't know, smell like us, look like us, right, Uh, talk like us. Um, I know for me and my wife, we kind of, if we see other parents with other kids, we're like, we're just... We're just, we just attached to them and we're like, Hey, how you doing? They're all, I'm tired. We're all, I know. I could relate, you know, or like, we just kind of bond. You know what I'm talking about? There's just that bond that you have. But in Christ Jesus, that bond should be a lot stronger and you shouldn't be thinking external. You should be looking at Jesus Christ and in them, uh, because that's where our fellowship lies as the church. And it's so cool that you can have fellowship with somebody. They could be across the world. And and they could even maybe speak another language, and you can have that fellowship that's just so true uh, with them. I know uh, some of you guys and ourselves included that you know our the the our our deep fellowship that we have is not even with our blood relatives; it's with the church, it's with the body of Christ. They're the ones; they're our true fellowship that we have, and uh, it's just it's just that work that God only God can do, right? Um, anyways. Um, so we need to understand that, you know what, people are dying though, people are lost, people are not going to be making it to heaven, and and uh, I think this is very vital in understanding the gospel, that there's going to be a lot of people that are not going to receive the gospel, and it's a sad thing, that, uh, just speaking of our family, right, um, and we got to be broken for them, we got to be on our knees um, and, and just, you know, seeking the Lord and his guidance, and it doesn't matter, you know, how far people are, um, it's it's Christ who brings them in. And then when he does, it doesn't matter who they are, just like the Church of Philippi. They could be the jailer. They could be this, you know, they. I'm not going to talk to you. You used to have a demon in you. Uh, how do I know there's not a little piece of, you know? And you might just kind of push away from people, but you, you can't do that. you got to open up. And I know, uh, personally, I've been through a lot of things from church, um, I was involved at a church, Calvary Chapel, in, in Arizona, um, where, you know, I thought that was my life. These guys that I looked up to, all of a sudden stuff happened where uh, they got very legalistic, and uh, it broke my heart to see how can you guys continue going further without repenting and without coming before the Lord? Why aren't you standing up for, you know, those who are not in wrong they're 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 being offended and and uh, all of this and you're not doing anything about it but i remember i i mean i've been broken in ministry so much so where man you can say calvary chapel my wife can attest to this uh and i would be on my my face in just tears and i i couldn't help but just you know fall apart because of that brokenness that i i've had in ministry and i'm sure some of you guys have had some of that in ministry as well but you cannot do this Right? You're, you don't let your heart do that. When there's people around you, oh, you gotta open up to the body. That's what we're here for. The moment you close yourself up is, is, is you gave yourself over to the enemy's strategies and the enemy's method for you is to get your eyes on yourself or be distracted and, and boom, he's got you. And, and so we gotta be careful. We gotta be together. I think it was D.L. Moody, um, um, who, there's a guy at the church um, who decided, you know, I'm not going to go to church anymore. And uh, D.L. Moody, I think it was D.L. Moody, I don't know, don't quote me on this, cut this from the record, right? Um, or Spurgeon, I don't know, I'm pretty sure it was Moody, but he uh, he went to the guy's house to go visit him. He didn't say a word. The guy opened up the door, welcomed him inside, he didn't say anything, looked at his fireplace, and he saw, you know, a whole pile of just that the burning coals that are together. And he grabbed, you know, the little stick right there and grabbed one of those coals and kind of just threw it to the side. And and the guy just broke down in tears. He knew exactly what that meant. And it was Moody just walked out. He didn't have to say a word and just had to illustrate. And the guy knew, hey, if you're away from the body, you're going to burn out. You're going to dry out. You're, you're going to be, you're, you're going to stink. Right? 
And, and it's going to be horrible. And you're going to be the person that's saying, man, I, I just, I don't find joy in ministry. I don't, I don't know, I don't have that joy of the Lord anymore. Well, what happened? Right? Go back to Revelation 2. Go back and do those things. What, what did you do? You know, go back to the Lord. Were you in the Word daily at those times? Were you singing to the Lord? Go back and, and start doing those things over again. Anyways, uh, that wasn't in my notes. Anyways, let's go. It involves confidence in God. Look at verse 6. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Oh man, I love that verse. Paul's fellowship with the church of Philippi involved his confidence in God. You know, his confidence is in God regarding the work of God. And notice the emphasis is not on the work but on the person who is doing the work. Did you guys catch that? Isn't that so cool? Paul's, Paul's confidence was in, in Christ alone right here. Not, not the church. And, and if you were like me, I put my confidence in the church and that was my downward. Lord, why am I so broken? Well, where, where was your focus? Was it on me? Oh, uh, yeah, I thought it was, but honestly, I was trusting in man. Where do you see in the Bible where it says trust in man? In fact, I see in Psalm 118, the, uh, what is it? Eight, I think it is, where it says, you know, don't put your confidence in princes or the or in man, but but put your confidence in the Lord. Trust in the Lord, right? Proverbs three, five, and six. So oftentimes we place our confidence in ourselves and when it needs to be in God alone. Why? Because God is the one who started the work, and it's also God who's the one who is gonna finish the work. You're simply the work. You're a piece of work. Hey, wait, don't tell Dwight that one. Hey, sorry. Hey. No, seriously, oh, you kind of are, right? Where the Bible says, what, your righteousness is as filthy rags to the Lord. We, we can't bring anything before the Lord where he's like, oh, yeah, he's not going to be excited about anything about you. And I'm sorry to throw that out there to you, but it's true. He's going to be excited about his own work in you, not about you. Um, so notice, when, when God does a work, it's always good. Did you guys catch that in verse 6? Uh, but understand, it is, it's God that is doing the work. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, look at verse 13. It says in chapter 2, verse 13, For it is God who works in you, both to will, that's the desire, the unction, right? Uh, and to do, that's the actual work itself, for his good pleasure. So it's not about you and I, right, working at being good or you and I working at doing that which is good, but it's about God and him working in and through us. So Romans chapter 7 verse 18 says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, Paul says, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. So if no good thing dwells in me, how is it that good can come out of me? You know what I'm, you guys with me here? So, but when you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you now have His goodness, His righteousness that has now been imputed to you and I. So no longer does He look at us the way we are, right, with our filthiness, but He looks at us clean. Love keeps no record of wrong, right? First John uh, 4, I think it is, it says God is love. So, he doesn't look at us with our record of wrong because it's been covered by his blood. And and notice, now, now you are good. And and I like to ask people, you know, how, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm good. No, you're not. You're not good. There's only one good, and that's Jesus Christ, and you're not him, right? And they get all, well, good point anyways, right? Um, anyways, so the only good thing that is in you and I, it's Christ in us, right? The hope of glory. So if God is in you, that goodness that he's doing, is it's, it's him doing it in you, which is so cool, right? It, that work is being done by God himself. So when you realize this, now all of a sudden you're able to let that guard go, right? You're able to let that wall go out of your heart and you're, you're able to open up now. Now you're all of a sudden you're able to counsel people and you're able to, you know, give the word of God and, and there's just stuff that you're, you're able to encourage the body where you never have before. And it's just so cool how the Lord does that work. But realize that this work, it began at the cross, 
right? Through, through his son, Jesus Christ, um, for you and me. So Revelation chapter 13, which is interesting because it says, uh, Jesus Christ was the lamb that was slain when before the foundation of the, the world, right? So when, when did this work start, uh, for you and me? Before the foundation of the world. That's just so cool. God intended on dying on the cross for you and I before the foundation of the world. Right? I, I don't understand it necessarily. Um, I don't uh, comprehend it necessarily either. But I, I, I apprehend it because the Bible teaches it and I simply just, you know, I'll obey it. I'll listen. Hey, Lord, you said it. I believe it, right? I'm going to go with it. So understand that your life is a work in progress. None of us have made it to that level of master, right? Or, or uh, I, we're all students of the word of God. And the moment you're like, I'm not a student, I'm an apostle, right? <laughs> Whoa, right? What was you? God is working in us his perfect work and his perfect plan. And don't misunderstand me. I understand Romans, what is it, 6 and 7, where it's talking about, you know, the moment we're justified is the moment that we're sanctified. The moment we're born again is the moment that we're set apart. I understand that. But you and I, we grow and we mature as believers in Christ Jesus. And that is God working in and through you and me, according to verse 6, right? That's that completed work, according to verse 6. So that work will be completed, I believe, on the day of Jesus Christ, speaking of the rapture of the church. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verse 16, that says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Um, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one says, Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So according to Philippians, we are going to get a brand new body. All right, I thought I was the only one. Thank you, guys. Uh, man, I can't wait for that day. That's You guys are like, what are you talking about, little kid, right? But it's true, I can't wait. Um, understand that it's God who started the work in you, right? And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you and I. And, and it's his work. Man, just think about it for a second. Let's just take a little pause here. Let's really just kind of consider. Um, I've heard it said and illustrated in a sense of, you know, you don't necessarily recognize that when his blood was shed, it was shed for everything that you've done. And you're probably like, okay, I, I could see the 90%, but this other person, I don't think so. And you could kind of get the picture of, okay, no matter what you've done with your hands, so the things that you've picked up, the things that you've done, no matter what it was, he was nailed. He nailed those nails through his hands, right, onto the cross. The places that you've gone that you probably shouldn't have gone, well, he took that nail through his feet for you and I, right? And and I've heard it said uh, that his back, right, was reduced to hamburger meat looking that day. It was it was whipped so bad, and and it's the the biggest portion of his body that was you know bleeding from. And, and that might be, you know, illustrated or pictured as, you know, maybe you've walked away from the Lord. Maybe you've gone your own route and thinking that you got it together and, and you know what you're doing with your life more so than God does, right? There you go advising God again. And, and, uh, you know, he's, he's taking that on his back for you and I. Maybe, you know, you got that gut wrenching, you know, anger against somebody that, you know, just, tears you apart whenever they come around or that bitterness or that whatever it may be well he got it in the side as well and blood came forth and water right and and maybe it's those thoughts that are in your mind maybe that's where all the sin abounds and you don't allow your mind like romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 to be conformed by the word of god instead you conform it by your thoughts and you allow it to go wherever it is well he got the thorns 
right? A crown of thorns pushed and hammered into his head. And when you really just stop and consider that, it's, it's like, man, well, who am I? Lord, whoa, right? Just like John, he's on your face. Uh, there's nothing that you have done that he cannot forgive. If you come to the cross, it's all about Jesus Christ and his work from the start. You got a problem if you're not willing to let him start it, right? You're, you're going to have a big struggle throughout the finish line if that's the case. But if you surrender all and just say, Lord, here I am. Let's let's do this. I, I give up. I quit, right? I, I'm committing spiritual, I guess you can call it suicide if you want. I'm done with my life. And I'm all about your life. If that's the case, he's going to come on. And, and uh, the Bible says in John 16, 8, you know, the work of the Holy Spirit, he's going to, uh, when he comes, he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Bible says in Romans eight twenty, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. See, we all have that gap in our hearts where we need Christ to fill it. We, we try to go and look for love in all different directions, don't we? We, we go to, man, I don't know, the music, the movies, the friends, the cars, the football. I don't know. It doesn't matter what it is. We go to everything else besides Christ Jesus to see if we can fill that gap. We try to open up into relationships and, and then we're left crushed and broken. And what happened? It's only Christ Jesus who can feel that, that he is our true joy. And he's our workman. He's, he's the one forming and shaping us, guys. So only a relationship with Jesus Christ can fill this futility uh, that is within our hearts, within us. So nothing else can satisfy you. Nothing else can fulfill you. It's Jesus Christ, and he's drawing you onto himself. And I would say, go, go to him. It's... Come, come on to the Lord if he's calling you. Um, you know, 1 John 1, nine talks about if you confess your sins, he's faithful and he's just and he'll forgive you of your sins, right? Romans 10.9 as well says that. But if you come to the Lord, you repented of your sins, you, you confessed your sins unto the Lord, and now you're forgiven of everything. God is beginning that work in you, that perfect work, and he will establish you. He will continue that work, and, and uh, you abide. That's all you simply do. You're abiding in Christ, right? I've never seen the vines outside struggling and just pushing to produce grapes, you know? They're, they're, it doesn't matter. The, it, it just It's pretty cool, right? I can, I'm going off my notes here i get better get back but uh romans eleven twenty five says for i do not desire brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to israel until the fullness of the gentiles has come in and you know that day of the lord when the Lord comes, it's, it's going to be when this happens. The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. When that last person, if you per se, right, is, needs to be saved, is going to be saved. And boom, we're, we're up. We're caught in the clouds. And it's going to be so fun. But understanding that it's not about your great church attendance. It's not about your tithing, your great sacrifice. It's not about you. But, you know, you shouldn't, these things shouldn't bum you out, but rather free you up, right, in a sense. But it's God working in and through us to his completeness, to his perfection in and through our lives, throughout every practical area of our lives and ministry. Um, turn with me, if you will, to Second Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians to your left, chapter 3. This is pretty cool because this is a huge issue. If he started that work, right, he's going to finish that work. And and this should relieve you guys of that burden of thinking, you know, that we have to do this, right? And, and, And we have to do something to please God. He is only pleased in his work in you, period. That's it. Uh, and I don't think we all quite comprehend that, but it's it, that's what he's pleased in, not us. Um, you know, when you get to heaven, the spotlight's not going to be on you, right? How did you get here? Well, let me tell you all these great things I did, right? I followed Rick Warren step by step. and No, none of that stuff, right? It's Jesus. The spotlight's on Christ. And all of us are just on our face. We're in, right? We're like, how did I even get here? I don't deserve to be here. Grace, right? It's all about Jesus and the reason why we're there. Um, okay, Second Corinthians. I better get going here. Chapter 3, verse 5. It says, 
Second Corinthians chapter three, verse five says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the, the spirit gives life. Man, his timing is perfect. It's just, oh, it's it's amazing. Let's go to the second section here. It involves his heart. Look at verse 7. Go back to Philippians. Uh, verse 7. It says, Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. Now, Number There's two things about Paul's heart for the fellowship of the the Church of Philippi. Uh, Number one, it involves the grace of Jesus Christ. Um, Notice in verse seven, it's 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 one thing you know to think about somebody, and it's another thing uh, to have someone on your heart. And it speaks of that heart of love, you know that that we have. I know uh, you guys, a lot of you guys, show that here, and I think that's amazing. I'm sorry, excuse me. Look at the end of verse 7. And it says, Because I have you in my heart, and as much as both in my chains and in the defense, that word defense is that apologia. That's where we, we say, uh, or we get our word uh, apologetic, right? And, and it means really defending your faith. And then it says right here, the, the confirmation of the gospel, speaking of the validity of the gospel here. Paul has a heartfelt uh, fellowship with the church of Philippi, and it involves the grace of Jesus Christ. Understand that this heartfelt fellowship that he has, uh, and that we have for each other, it's not because we're so wonderful and we're so likable and, oh, it's, look, it's me. Why not? Hey, right? None of that stuff. Understand, uh, that, that it really, it's, it's not because you're so special, right? It's, it's because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And, and that's the commonality that we have. That's that oneness that we have, that fellowship, right? That koinonia, the unity that we have. So notice, uh, it says, the confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers with me of the, of grace. And there's that word grace again, 156 times in the New Testament, charis, right? Unmerited favor, getting what you do not deserve. Amen? That's all of us. We, we don't deserve this grace, but because God is working in and through our lives, there's a oneness, there's a unity, and, and some of us have a stronger fellowship, and that's what I was talking about earlier, you know, with our families, then our families with other believers, and it just, uh, it just, it amazes me. But secondly, it involves the affection of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. It says, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all, with the affection of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul was thinking about them. He had them on his heart. He with, uh, also with, had a deep affection toward them. And he, he truly loves them. Understand that this affection was not something that he worked for or that he tried for, in a sense, right? According to verse 8 at the end, um, it was with the affection of, what, his own strength? The affection of his own endurance, the affection of his own esteeming himself. No, it's the affection of Jesus Christ. And, and that's the common bond that we have. Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out. Where? In our hearts. It says, by the Holy Spirit who was given uh, to us. So Colossians 1.27 even says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amazing. So we're not lovable, right? You guys are, I hate you, right? But we're not, we, we, we just, I don't know. We, we love each other and we hug each other. What's that? Actually, not some of you guys. I don't know. I'm from Arizona. We come from a church where we're like, what's up, brother? How's it going? And I, I, I started doing that to some of you guys and you're like, oh, oh, right? Um, that's okay. I'm still going to hug you. But anyways, we, we like, we're kind of like that little country church, right, on the edge of town, right, where it's uh, short hair, long hair. Well, how's that song go? Anyways, uh, we, we, we all come together and we want to just worship the Lord. That's what, that's what we're doing here. And hopefully that's what you're doing here, right? If you came with a, another intention, 
I don't know what you're doing. Hopefully you came to hear from the Lord. But I'm super blessed to be a part of this fellowship, and uh, I've been blessed since we've been here. It's just been a short time of, what, eight months about? And, uh, man, you guys have that heart for the Lord where it's just like, we can be open. You guys know what I'm saying? If you're a Christian, you can't really be as open around, you know, your workplace um, because they're like, oh, you Christians, oh. You know, like, here you can just be yourself, you know. And um, anyways, I don't know why I'm talking about that. So let's go on. The third thing, it involves his prayer. Look at verse 9. It says, in this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernments. So there's four aspects uh, to Paul's prayer that I see here. Personally. You probably see a lot more, but I see four of them. Uh, number one, it involves love. Look at verse 9 again. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. And this is interesting. This is that uh, agape love, right? That continual re- repetitive action. It's a, in, uh, what's it called? In the present imperative. Um, his prayer was that the love of of Christ would abound. And and that word abound, by the way, means to mature. It means to grow. And and his prayer was that they would grow and that they would abound really in two areas. And in ver- according to verse 9, and number one, in knowledge, and, and it's not that head knowledge, it's that uh, epic and epigenosis. I can't even talk. My, my throat's all dried out, by the way. Um, with epi meaning upon, right? Uh, and then Gnosis means to know. So uh, it means to know, to come upon something, to know it intimately, perfectly, accurately. Talking about growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. When you get in the word of God and you're growing in his, in his word. So it's not to rise to some, you know, intellectual kind of platform, but it's about the love, uh, kind of a relationship with Christ. So whatever you truly love, man, you, you know exactly about whatever that is, right? If you love, football right you guys are fans of football over here (laughs) yeah I remember when I met my my wife's family that was the first question they came out to Arizona and they're like what's your favorite football team and I saw the car Packers yeah and they're okay come here yeah it was kind of, I was accepted. But if you love cars, you know everything there is to know about cars. If you know, you know, I don't know, whatever you love, you know about, right? If you love Christ and that true love is abounding in your heart, you're going to want to know and get deeper as far as much as you can of the word of God. And you're going to seek the Lord in prayer. And it's just going to be a natural thing. But Paul's saying, man, I want you guys to love Jesus Christ so much so that your love will abound and it will grow and it will mature in him alone. And Philippians chapter 3, if you want to flip over really quick in verse 8. It says, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, so he's got the Irish in him, right? That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Friends, life is all about knowing Jesus. That's it, right? If you're looking everywhere elsewhere, that's just foolishness. It's all about Jesus. There you go. There's the answer to life. If you're writing a book and you're you're sitting up at looking at the stars. What's the answer to life? What's life all about? There it is. I just saved you all that time. It's all about Jesus. So uh, that they notice in verse nine. Go back to Philippians one at the end of verse one. Um, that they would grow in discernment. It means wisdom, judgment, really, based on what God's word says. Not just, you know, I'm discerning something. No, no, no. What are you discerning based on what God's word actually says? Well, God's word says this, so therefore there's the discernment. So we all fall more in loving with Christ and we grow in his knowledge. Uh, we can grow in, in discernment 
uh, as well with Christ. So the more you're in the word of God, the more you'll begin to have that discernment as well. And I think that's needed in the church today, uh, knowing that the day that we live in today, right, especially during this time, um, I think we should pray more and more for that discernment. Um, secondly, let's go, it involves uh, approval, approval. Look at verse 10. And we'll, we'll start to close with this. It says that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. So Paul is simply saying, pray for wisdom and discernment to be, uh, between right and wrong, basically, right? Knowing Christ and not knowing Christ. We all don't need to be taught right from wrong, right? I, I, I know, uh, when you guys are driving, Right before you start to push the gas pedal, what's the first thing that you're looking in your rear mirror? Why are you doing that? You know right from wrong, right? We, you don't need to be taught that stuff. You just do it. You're, you're looking and you're, okay, now I can break the law. Here we go. So anyways, don't do that. But, uh, man, we, we need Jesus, right? So, um, but it's Christ in us and it's him enabling us to do the things that are right and, and good in his eyes, giving us, you know, the wisdom and that discernment and the knowledge of him so that we can always make those right choices in our lives. You know, the Bible says in first Samuel 16, seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him for the Lord does not see as man sees, but for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what the the heart and and man it's the motive behind all that we do and it really in the end that's what it cut measures down to right when the books are open what was the motive behind those things that you did because it's not about what you did but the motive of behind what you did is what's going to be measured so uh let's come to the third thing here it involves sincerity sincerity it's a verse 10 at the end uh sincere and and that's that word it's pure it's on soiled it carries the idea to be able to stand up to sunlight and 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 it means you know you guys have probably heard the term without wax you know in israel if they're if the what is the mason guys when they're making like a vase or whatever and all of a sudden they chip a piece off or a, a nose or an ear or whatever you know, little idle thing they're making, and they have it inside their market. They're like, oh, man, I spent all those hours with this, and now I just broke a little chip of it, and, oh, I'll fix it with some wax. I'll put some wax here, put it right there, fix it up, boom, there it is. Looks brand new, nobody will ever know. And then, you know, so somebody comes, they look at it, and, oh, it's pretty nice. I'll buy it. How much is it? There you go. And they walk out into the sun, takes them about 10 minutes to walk into their house, and then the sun's hitting the wax, and then all of a sudden those fall off and they're like, hey, what's this? Right? This wasn't sincere. That's where the word sincere comes from. So now that's why you hear it in the markets. Is this sincere? Right? Or is this without wax? And that's what that's referring to. So uh, Paul is saying, man, be pure and able to stand before the sunlight uh, so that you don't offend anybody. He's praying that they're real, that they're genuine, that they're pure, and that so that they uh, they don't stumble anybody. And man, may that be our prayer as well. Oftentimes we think that this applies to others, right? It's not, it's not applying to me. Can you guys drink, you know, I, I heard it said, people come to you and they're like, can I drink alcohol? Can I do tattoos? Can I do this? Can I do that? And I, I always say, yeah, sure you can. But the right question is, should you, right? Should you be doing those things? Uh, should I do this or should I do that? And here's a few questions for you guys if you want to jot them down if you're taking notes. Um, is Number one, is it helpful in your Christian walk? Right? Ask yourself, if you have one of those questions, should I be doing this? Is it a black or is it a white or is it a gray? Is it? No, just keep it white, right? But 1 Corinthians six twelve says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. So not everything is going to be helpful in your Christian walk with the Lord. Um, so if it's not helpful, I would say you probably shouldn't be doing it, right? So second question, will it bring me under its power? Will it bring me under its power? First Corinthians 6, 12 says at the end, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Uh, if, if what we're going to do is going to bring us under its bondage and under its power, uh, then we shouldn't be doing it. Um, 
the next question, will it stumble others in their walk with the Lord? Will it stumble others with their walk with the Lord? You know, and there's that gray area and white area. Um, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. This is a more of a heart issue uh, beyond the physical issue here, right? The moment it stumbles your brother is the moment that you're in sin and you shouldn't have done that. And you need to repent and give that to the Lord. So the Lord loves, man, when we come to each, we, we come to the Lord and we, we confess those things to the Lord and we, we just fall more in love with Him. We grow in His knowledge. But when, when that happens, you guys know what naturally happens in your life? You're naturally being more aware of your surroundings and you're being more aware of who the believers are around you. And now you're edifying your brethren. Now you're lifting them up instead of yourself up, right? And, and, uh, so, and also, does, ask the question, does it bring glory to God? You know, should I be doing this? Well, does it bring glory to the Lord? First Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, that, that, that really sums it up right there, do all to the glory of God. So be careful, man. Have sincerity. Not being an offense to the day of Christ Jesus. Stay blameless uh, above reproach until the day of Christ. And then then we're just like, we're in our glorified bodies, guys. It's going to be amazing. So, um, Let's come to the, I'll just end with this right here. Uh, number four, it involves fruit. Look at verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. And notice the word, <clears throat> the word fruits is plural. Obviously not speaking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, singular, right? Galatians 5.22. Um, fruits of righteousness, speaking of uh, works, right? The, the, the Philippians uh, were doing towards Paul. Philippians chapter 4, verse 17, that what were they doing? They were sending gifts to Paul. And I think that's super cool. This is true evidence of our faith, uh, by the way. James chapter 2, verse 18 says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. So if you have faith... Really, the natural byproduct of that faith is going to be works. It's just going to be naturally produced in and through our lives as believers. So it's not something that we work for. It's not something that we strive for. It's something that God does naturally. And remember, God does, right? It's not you, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to impress God on this one. He's all, eh, right? <laughs> Filthy rags. Oh. He started the work. He'll complete the work. These fruits of righteousness are accomplished by what? Verse 11. Look at verse 11 again at the end. They're accomplished by what? Jesus Christ. There it is again. It's not by you or me. Turn with me. Now, I know I said this is the last one, but turn with me. John, John chapter 15. Because I can't just encourage you guys to, you know, get in the word and, uh, and it's Christ in us only, and what we just got to be something that we're doing here. Look at John 15, verse 4. John 15, verse 4. It says, Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do a little bit of stuff. You can do great things for God. No, you can do nothing. So it's always been about God, not you, I know. But and and really, you can't perform for God out of your flesh. Since man took the fruit from way back in Genesis, right? They thought all of a sudden that they could be just like God. And ever since then, we still are tempted today in the same flesh. And, and but we can't. We can't. It got, there's only one God. You know, stop. Stop trying to be like God in that sense, right? Stop trying to overachieve and try to you know be something that you're not. Just allow God to do that work. And what are you called to do? According to verse uh, four here in, in John 15 just abide man you just hang in there 
you just, just no matter what the storms are coming by, right, of, of the grapes, they, the, the winds come, the, the rain comes, there's, there's some chopping that happens, right? There's, you get to see stuff, and you're like, whoa, what just happened right there? Whoa. Right? There's, there's going to be a lot of stuff in our Christian walk. I'm not saying it's easy. It's going to be super hard. The moment you give your life to the Lord is the moment that you're going to be like, what did I just do? And, uh, but, but it's Christ who did it. So that's what you got to be reminded of. And of, of course, you know, all this stuff's going to happen, but you abide in Christ Jesus, and he will do the rest, man. He is faithful, he is just, and he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And then, all of a sudden, you're going to be churching more, you're going to be praying more, you're going to be reading more. All of a sudden, what happened there? It's because of the work of Christ in you. All of a sudden, you're doing these things and, and, and you want to. It's your desire where it never was before. So, it's it's not a, a have to anymore, it's a get to kind of a lifestyle with the Lord. So, amen, church? I better stop. It's 8 o'clock. Let's pray. Um, Lord, thank you so much for your word and, and just the encouragement, Lord, that it's not about us and it is all about you and just realizing your faithfulness and your goodness toward us. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to um, instill within our hearts your love, Lord, and remind us of the things that you went through for for us, Lord. Uh, man, it's your word that says that you're your goodness leads us to salvation. And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here that needs to receive you into their lives, that they would open up, Lord, that they would allow you to just do your work, Lord, that they would stop trying to be good, stop trying to come under the law, stop trying to do whatever it takes that they think that they need to do. And I pray you would uh, just remove us from the equation, Lord. Uh, Ruin us, really, and show us more of yourself, Lord. Help us to glorify you. Uh, and, and just do the things that you called us to do, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.